Welcome to Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius, your source for horror, sci-fi, suspense, and all things violent. Hey, what's going on, guys? Thank you so much for joining me today on Vicious Whispers with Mark Tullius. This is episode 178, and today we have a very special guest all the way from Canada, a very talented young author, and one of my co-authors, Caitlin Marceau. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm really excited. Well, congrats. Before we get to anything else on the release of your latest, the magnum opus. I just read that today. I thought that was really cool. It was well done. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I'm really lucky that Timber Ghost Press like took a chance on this thing. Cause like it is, it is short. It's a novelette. Like it's not quite a novella. It's not like short enough to be a short story. So I was really like worried <laughs> that it wasn't going to go anywhere. Like I, I was, you know, who would want to take a chance on it? And them. <laughs> that was, that was the answer. Yeah, so. no, it, you did a great job. You hit on one of the things I really struggle with, even to this point, jealousy. You know, being jealous of other people's success, whether it's other writers, whether it's friends from high school, whatever it is, I think you touched on a, a pretty cool emotion there. Lowy did, and I was surprised by the ending too. So generally, you know, I, I feel like I was like, oh, okay, I could figure it out. I know exactly what's going to happen, but no, it was a cool little twist. And so I thought it was well done. Thank you. I'm, I'm really happy. I feel like, I mean, like that is exactly what I tried to touch on though, is like this idea of jealousy. Cause like realistically let's just let's just be honest right <laughs> it's so hard to like because you have to go on social media that's just like unfortunately part of the game if you're writing especially if you're writing in like an indie genre or like if you're an indie writer in a genre i would probably say that better like just going on and being personable and like connecting with your audience and other writers and networking it's all just part of social media it's just it's part of the game you know and thankfully i love it i really do enjoy getting to do that but I'm human. <laughs> so when I see someone say that they signed a movie deal or like, wow, my series is being made into a TV show, I can't help but be like, one day, <laughs> you know? So thought it was, yeah. I'm glad that everyone kind of relates to that feeling, whether yeah. it's, you know, professionally or not. Do you think writing that helped you a little bit? I, so this is like a really weird thing, but I've been working on like feelings of jealousy since university. Cause so I went into, I'm weirdly wearing my sweater from there, but I went to Concordia University for creative writing and it was a really weird environment. There was a lot of like elitism in the genres you were writing and you weren't allowed. So to get into the program, you had to submit a portfolio of work. It couldn't be genre literature. You couldn't write fantasy. You couldn't write horror. Nothing had to be just like, you know, Canadian literature, like good old fashioned canlet. And I submitted my portfolio, I got in and immediately didn't want to write any of that. <laughs> I wanted to do fantasy and horror and all of the things you couldn't do. So like seeing people within my program be promoted for opportunities or be, you know, suggested for really cool programs or grants or bursaries or just opportunities that weren't given to genre writers, you had that like that that jealousy. You envied them. You coveted their you know their success in a way. Mm -hmm. So I've I've been working on not feeling that, and I'm at a place in my life where I don't really get that jealous terribly often. So it was instead of like a way of resolving jealousy I had, it was a really fun way for me to like touch back on those feelings. So that's cool. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. So now, when did you? 
when did you find a love for writing? Like, when did you know it was something that you wanted to do? And when did you realize that it did include some dark? So I wanted to be a writer for forever. My grandfather, so like, thankfully, you know, knock on wood, he's still around with us. But growing up, he used to take me into like, cause he had like this living room that was gorgeous and he had like a big library and it was just like book haven. And I never wanted any of the books on his shelves. I always wanted him to like tell me a story instead. And he used to do these like custom stories. So he'd be like, what do you want a story about? And I'd be like, I want two witches and a magical pumpkin and like a dragon. And then there has to be a dog somewhere. There has to be a dog. And he'd be like, okay, let's do this. And he'd like weave these like amazing tales. So for me, I knew from a really, really young age that like I wanted to do what he did but like better, <laughs> like I wanted, I wanted to make that my life, you know? Um, I didn't know I wanted to write horror until like way later. I used to write fantasy. I was, I was really big on fantasy. I used to write rom-coms too when I was younger. Those were like my two favorite. And then I got to university and it was like a switch was flipped. I, I used to have night terrors growing up. So like anything scary, I stayed away from. Even now I get night terrors occasionally, but it's not like as bad as it was, it was like all the time as a kid. So I, I avoided everything scary. And then I just decided one day that like I was tired of being terrified and instead it was like my turn to like wreak havoc <laughs> on people. So I like watched every horror movie I could. I read as much, you know, scary stuff as I could. And then by the time I got to university, I was like, okay, now I really wanna create this. But it, it took like a surprising amount of time for me to really get into the genre. But now I never want to leave it. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, what do you have coming out? Well, your first collection was awesome. Thank um, you. We talked about it. I think Derek might have reviewed it as well. He um, did. So what what is next? So I have, I'm really lucky. I, I'm, I'm very, very fortunate that I, I've had the opportunity to work with some fantastic publishers. I have my debut novella. It comes out September 22nd from Derek Lit Press. It's called This Is Where We Talk Things Out. It's... It's this one. It's this bad girl right behind me. I don't know if I want to say it's the best thing I've ever written, but I think it's like the most important thing to me that I've written. So I'm over the moon that that's coming out. I also have a collection that's coming out in December. I don't think the, the date has been like officially released outside of Phantasmagoria magazine. They got like the exclusive cover and date reveal, but it's it's hitting shelves on December 3rd. I can say that, which is exciting. I think a cover reveal is coming later this month or, or next month, which I'm also very stoked about. And then I also have a third collection, which is crazy, coming out next year from Ghost Orchid Press. So the people who published Palimpsest are, are publishing my second one called A Blackness Absolute, which I'm just over the moon about, so. That's awesome. Yeah. Now, how much of that work was created in the last couple of years. Is that all recent work? Is that stuff like over a course of time? Because it seems like you produce a lot. It seems like you are just, you're working. Yes. <laughs> it's all really recent, which is like the wildest part. This is where we talk things out. This one was like a crazy project. I had this idea for like a story about a mother-daughter and I was like, it'll just be like a short story. And I started outlining it because I'm a meticulous outliner for everything. Even like poems, I need to like, you know, figure it out. And then I started writing the outline and I'm like, no, fuck it. This is a novel like or, or a novella. Let's, you know, let's, let's figure that out as we go. 
And then I did the outline in like a day and then I wrote it in like, I had like a coffee fueled fugue state over like 10 days. Like it was like a 10 day binge write. And that was in February of this year. So it was really recent. Wow. For Femina, which is a collection coming out in December, that one is like, I say like a mishmash. Like most of the stories are, are new. So the collection is like half published half unpublished stuff. And that was written between 2020 and like earlier this year. Most of the stories are unpublished. There are two that have actually appeared in Phantasmagoria magazine. One of them is called Tabula Rasa and it's like one of my favorite stories of all time. It's like a body snatching pregnancy one, which is like kind of fun to me. Not the concept of those, but like the story. And then the other one actually came out in this newest issue called The Amphitrite and it's like a water ghost time thing. It's, it's really, weird and fun. And then the other collection coming out next year, A Blackness Absolute, is really funny because it's the first collection I wrote and the last to get published. And I wrote that in like a couple of months in the span of like 2020. Like when the pandemic first hit, I had kind of taken a break from writing and then I was locked in my house and then it turns out all I did was writing. So nice. yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, and you are getting close to finishing or pretty close to finishing Try Not to Die, right? Yeah, I'm so happy. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's awesome. I wanted to talk about your concern that you wrote to me about, about whether or not we should change the story because there is something, a popular game or something, right? It has to be like the shittiest coincidence or the best coincidence. I don't know. It depends on how you feel about marketing. I had started writing the story like what, like last year, I, th I think, like mm -hmm. late last year. It was a summer camp story and it involved werewolves, but like the Quebecois, like Lugaru version of the werewolf legend. And then the quarry came out this year and I'm playing it and I'm like, this this feels like it's going to be a werewolf game, but like, maybe I'm wrong. Like maybe I'm like totally misreading this. Like maybe, maybe the dog boy isn't a werewolf and then immediately it's werewolves. I was like, fuck, I was so mad. So like, yeah, but son of a bitch. I know that feeling. It sucks. You can't be completely original and your take on it is going to be awesome. You know? I, yeah. Oh yeah. It's going mean, to be unique. No. And like, I'm trying to keep it like, I don't know what it is about me. Like, it's not like I have a sense of nationalism, but I just like writing about things that are like local. I don't feel like there's a ton of like Canadian horror. Like I know there are quite a few Canadian horror authors, but like my brain is like, no, there's none. <laughs> you need to write Canadian horror exclusively. So like it's werewolves, but it's not like, it's not the legend we're used to. So like in Quebec, we have like, I, I know people say like Lugaru is just French for werewolf, but like, in Quebecois folklore, Lugaru are like their own animal. They're really weird. And they're like the, the dumbest animal <laughs> where it's like, if you miss Lent like seven years in a row, you become a were pig or a cat or a were frog or a werewolf. And then if somebody spots you in the woods or like cuts you, then you turn back into your human self, but neither of you can talk about the awkwardness for a hundred days <laughs> or you go back. So I took that idea and changed it into them eating kids. And it's a little different now. <laughs> yeah, I like it. Yeah. Very cool. Did you have, have you written death scenes? Were those difficult at all? Did you feel bad for killing this character over and over? 
No. No. I have I have I have no mercy for this like this poor character. So like I I'm trying to make it where like a lot of the death scenes like there are quite a few death scenes for a protagonist, but there are like more so for their best friends because they go to summer camp with like their two best pals and kids from their class. So I'm trying to keep it so that it's less a matter of like murdering my protagonist over and over again and more a matter of like them deciding whether or not they need to chop off their best friend's hand or like whether or not, you know, the, the friend who accidentally twisted her ankle, whether she needs to die or, you know, can they use her as bait or do they take her along, you know? And every decision is a bad one. It's <laughs> like very few good choices. I like that. I want to mislead the reader. I want the reader to die as many times as possible. Yeah. Uh, that's what makes the point. So. I, I haven't misled the reader, I would say, hopefully in mind. Hopefully my choices are like, they're, they're not like, there's no misdirections, but there's no clear cut right choice either. Like if somebody asks you, do you go like through the woods or do you take like the mountain path? Like, mm -hmm. If you're in like Quebecois, like up north Quebec, that's not a choice. <laughs> They're both bad choices. <laughs> You've already lost. <laughs> so like it's it's that kind of thing for me. I mean, there are a couple ones that like might be kind of misdirections, but like not not really. You still get your comeuppance if you choose. Okay, so, so I don't pay any attention to what's going on in the publishing industry whatsoever. So I'm sure you are paying a lot of attention to it. What are some things that you see? What are some things that you wish were different or could be could be changed for the better? Oh man, I God, there's there's a lot that I think <laughs> I change. Yeah. Cause like, okay, so there are a lot, at least in the last couple of years, again, I'm I wouldn't say I'm new to the horror game because I actually have been like writing in it for a while, but like I was never as active on social media as I have been in like the last like three, four years. <laughs> Got weird. Pandemics will do that. And I found that like in the last little while, there've been more and more publishing houses run by women. And I think that's fantastic. There's more like, you know, there, there's more projects that are calling for, for women's work. There's a lot more projects, thankfully, that are calling for trans and non-binary artists as well. Because that was like, I love, I think it was the Ladies of Horror Fiction. I love them so very much. They recently changed to Horror Spotlight, I believe is a new name. And I was very lucky. I got to be one of the recipients of their grants in, I believe it was 2021. Yes, the years all blend, you know what I mean? But one of the things that like was kind of upsetting is that there was no, there was no endowment for artists who were like non-binary, right? It's always like writers, women writers. Mm -hmm. And there's always like that kind of put apart. Like even Women in Horror Month, like it's it's a great initiative to promote, you know, women in the genre, but what are we doing to represent people who, you know, are non-binary, mm -hmm. who, you know, don't identify as women because they're not, right? What, what are we doing with them? So like, it's nice to see that there are more initiatives open for that, but I still always feel like you could have more representation. You know, we could have, like, realistically, we should be reserving more spots in anthologies for people of color, for non-binary, you know, writers, 
for, you know, queer artists out there, or at the very least, you know, asking those writers to submit, you know, like having invitation and then also having open calls, which, you know, people are doing more and more. There should be more just promotion of, you know, more, how do I work? I'm trying to find a way to word this in a way that like doesn't piss people off. Because I think there's a lot of really good initiatives to, again, push diversity in horror. Mm -hmm. But I think the only people who are listening to it are the ones who are actively already seeking out that diversity in horror, you know? I think the people who are already very rooted in reading, you know, dusty old white men are really not the ones who are going to be going out of their way to read, you know, works from women of color or, you know, works from, you know, trans artists or even women. Mm. So like, I, there's a lot in that area that I would, that I would personally change. I, I still cackle at women in horror month. Like I do love it. I participated in it. It's great, but it's always so funny to me to see people being like, recommend like a, a woman writer. I don't know any. And it's like, well, have you heard of this new one? Like Mary Shelley? She's great. <laughs> you know, she's a new voice in horror. Like, it's like shit like that that makes me just livid. So, you know. Well, and and that's what another thing that's awesome too, with at least on the indie side, is like, okay, we can go and we can create our own projects, you know, we can we can fill those fill those gaps, you know. So I think that's also cool. And I think that's hopefully hopefully it's all changing for the better. Oh, I know yeah. lately though. I think maybe just because I've been paying more attention to it, but just seeing how much hate is in the world and directed at certain groups, like it, it, it disgusts me. How do you deal with just that emotion? Like on a, I don't know, do you let that affect you on a daily basis? Is it just something that you're used to and that you've always been aware of or? Um... I mean, so like, okay. So yeah, probably content warning for like sexual assault and stuff, but like, I went to university and that was my experience there is there were a lot of men who like hated women and like there was no way of putting that gently in the program you had teachers you had students you had faculty who like hated women <laughs> and and there was no way of reading their work and interpreting it differently you know when i was there there were peers i knew who were sexually assaulted by people in the program and it wasn't framed as like oh they just hate women but that is essentially you know you can't you yeah. can't do anything else, right? And that was my experience. I had an ex-boyfriend also at the time who was, you know, I was assaulted while I was at university. And you just like deal with a lot of anger and it like builds up. And then you realize that you're also becoming a hateful person. Or that was my experience with it. And I wrestled that for like a long time. Anytime there was an injustice or like any kind of violence in the world or any kind of just, you know, anything where it wasn't even a matter of inequality where there wasn't like, it's not inequality. It's, I mean, obviously inequality too, but lack of, I'm totally blanking equity. God, lack of equity. <laughs> it's like dying here for a second. I used to get like, so like really rageful, like angry and equally hateful in a way. I think since everything with like the Trump presidency, I don't, I wouldn't say that he like, created hate but he definitely gave it more of a platform more of a voice and i think he really emboldened a lot of things and like we've been seeing that since like before his election right so like i think that's just kind of an amounting volcano of like 
hate that we're dealing with in the world and also in the horror community. I think you can't really separate, you know, global politics from like microcosmic, you know, <laughs> groups of people. Those same people exist in those circles, right? So I don't let it get to me anymore, but I also try my hardest to make myself and the work I put out and like even just my social media platform a place where like I don't want hate to have any space. I don't want it to occupy any space inside of me for anyone who's done me wrong because like I don't want to be them. But I also don't want to be like complacent or complicit in like allowing hate to fester towards other people in the world. I don't know if that makes any sense. Maybe I'm like running my mouth in circles, but like no, I think that I think that makes perfect sense. I think that's probably one of the reasons why I admire you and your presence on social media because you Thanks. always do seem positive, yet you're proactive. You're, you know, trying to make changes. So I think that's an awesome way to do it. So I, I, I've been taking notes. Oh, thanks. Yeah, awesome. Oh, I was curious. Do you is Canada better than the U.S.? Is Canada more tolerant than the U.S.? On paper, sure. Everyone in the world thinks we are. It, in reality, fuck no. <laughs> Absolutely not. <laughs> there is there is no way that, like, I mean, like, let's be honest, right? Like, Canada has, like, this really horrific and, like, ever-present legacy of, like, colonization. The atrocities done to, like, the Indigenous peoples of, like, the land we call Canada cannot be understated. You know, we have a prime minister right now who is continuing to build a pipeline through, like, Indigenous land. Like, it doesn't belong to us. And, like, he's still hell-bent on, like, keeping the pipe going for gas. So, like, no, I definitely wouldn't say we're more tolerant. I think we're a lot better at pretending we are because no offense, America is right next to us. You know, you look spotless when like your neighbor's covered in shit, you know, <laughs> like yeah. it's, really, it's really easy. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, no, we're, I, yeah, I would say we maybe aren't as vocal about it. Weirdly enough, I mean, this is like kind of a tangent on it, but like, there was a poet, I'm sure he wrote more than poems, but Earl Burney wrote a poem called Can Lit. And in the poem, he actually explores this issue in Canada versus the US. He talks about how like the US has had a lot of their battles kind of in plain sight. Like there was a civil war, there have been, you know, very obvious battles in America for what's right, for what's wrong, you know, neighbor against neighbor. And I'm not necessarily saying, you know, that his poem was accurate in saying that it put the past behind them, but it was a lot more visible. It was a lot more out in the air. Canada didn't really have that. We've never really had the same kind of internalized conflicts as the US has had, or as other countries have had, which isn't to say we haven't had them, but we just haven't had them to the same scale. And because of that, you know, Earl Burney in his poem really talks about this idea that like, we're haunted not by you know what we've done, but by like the things we haven't done. It's only by our lack of ghosts we're haunted, is how he words it. And I think that's like a very succinct thing in 2022. It's not that we aren't as bad as the US, as you know, at, at times as horrible as the US. It's just we're not really putting it out there. It's it's very under the covers, it's very behind closed doors, but it's definitely still there and i think the politics that emboldened hate and oppression to sort of again not rear its head but flourish more recently you know 
kind of like American culture, everything does make its way up north. So mm. we're also sort of seeing that, unfortunately. Yeah. yeah that's a Yay. <laughs> so yeah. positive. I was like, I was just trying to figure out where to move to. I was like, all right, cross out. <laughs> Uh, that was like, a good question. <laughs> now, this it's one. so pessimistic, though. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, I always sound so, like intense. <laughs> so I'm curious. Did you? I know. So you wanted to start writing at a young age. Did you ever have any doubt that you could do it? Were there moments where you wanted to give up? If so, I did. what what got you back into it? What what made you think you could succeed? So, okay, so it's like the weirdest thing. It, it was kind of like a very weird series of events. I've always been the kind of person who said, if it's not a matter of like, can I do something? It's a matter of like, when will I accomplish it? Like, I'm very much someone that it's like, oh, this is the goal. I'm going to get it. That's it. That's, <laughs> we did it, boys. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, I nailed it. That is just, you know, a waiting game. And I had been writing for a while. I think I had my first piece of horror. It was, really fortuitous. I had written my first short story, you know, edited it, like not my first short story, but my first like really good horror short story stuck. It was published in Sanitary Magazine. I think in 2014, that was like the first like horror piece I published. And it was the first one I wrote and it was the first submission out the door. It was like just so lucky. It was like the world collided on that one. I, I really got so lucky on this. And then I kept writing and I got very lucky again. I ended up getting a job at well, Watch Mojo, which is like a YouTube channel, but I ended up helping launch their publishing department and I was working for it. And it was just like really well-timed coincidences. And then I had a massive burnout <laughs> and I quit my job. I started working at a college. I wasn't writing as much and I hated my job at this college more than I ever hated a job in my life. It was like so stressful. I was always burnt out, but I still loved writing. And then I ended up taking over Sanitarium Magazine that first published me like those years earlier with a couple of like other individuals. And then there was a whole thing that happened. And I, you know, kind of relating back to like, you know, sexual violence. In this case, it was more online and it was a lot, you know, quite triggering for me. And I ended up quitting. I just like, I couldn't do it. I like relinquished my job at the, you know, at the publishing house. I was like, take sanitarium, do what you want with it, burn it to the ground. I don't give a fuck. I want nothing to do with this. Cause like, it was just, it was too much. And like, I, I, you know, I didn't do well with the sexual harassment, <laughs> you know, <laughs> which I should also like go on record by saying that like Brooklyn and Michael at the time, I think they were still working with sanitarium or had also recently left were amazingly supportive. Like they had joined with me to help, you know, launch this. And they were people I could talk to about what happened afterwards. Cause it was, it was horrifying. Like it was, you know, really upsetting. And then I just gave up. It had like killed my dream to write. I focused instead on, on drawing and I started doing a tattoo apprenticeship. I was going to go into that. And then March, 2020, <laughs> like it slapped me right in the face. I couldn't continue doing my tattoo apprenticeship because everything in Montreal closed down. And like, I think tattoo parlors were closed for like six months. Like it was insane out here as I'm sure it was everywhere else. Yeah. And then because there wasn't that pressure and I wasn't in this like triggering environment and I wasn't working a job that was like stressing me out and I just had nothing but time, I was able to kind of go back and just write for myself. And I had a really like wonderful time in the midst of absolute chaos and 
awful. <laughs> you know, I, I had this really beautiful time of like rediscovering this passion I'd always really had. And I think I produced like my best work since then. Like everything I write has been stronger like since that moment because I love it again. But yeah, no, there was a time where I was just like so overwhelmed and disappointed and like just couldn't do it. But I've never had that doubt that I couldn't. I just didn't. <laughs> That's awesome. What are you working on now? So are do you are you only doing short stories? Are you working on a novel? Like what is your what is your main focus like for the next year of what you're producing? Oh man. Okay, so I have a million things going on right now. I so okay, so I weirdly enough my partner who who isn't a writer but he's really good at time management has kind of helped me figure out my schedule for the foreseeable future because of just some really wonderful opportunities that have been given to me that i can't talk about but basically i'm not writing short stories for the next like couple of months i'm basically kind of putting that on hiatus with the exception of a couple projects unless there's ones that like really pique my interest i'm sort of not doing too much of that until february i think is where my schedule opens up again. The big focus right now is on a couple of novels that I'm working on, which is like the most exciting thing to me. Mm. One of them is this like really fucked up suburban novel about like this woman and her obsession with like the neighbor next door and how that just goes off the rails. <laughs> like it just gets so bizarre. There's another one that I'm working on that's like this really weird messed up gargoyle story with like I don't know why this theme of like obsession is like recurring in these but it's this weird obsessive like story about this woman who finds herself being stared after by a gargoyle. Like it keeps watching her. So there's like this predatory aspect to it but it turns into like a weird like romance <laughs> it's horror romance it's it's very bizarre and then the other one that i'm really really excited about is laughlin hills the community darklit press i love them <laughs> just like andrew at darklit press <laughs> i think is like one of my favorite humans in the world he liked the project and he's trusting me to like continue it so it was getting like a, a series run so i'm that's doing cool. a lot of that right now yeah that's very cool yeah, yeah i remember seeing that you showed that to me uh, you're the first person to read it <laughs> Oh, was I? Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, no, it looks super cool. Yeah, that's awesome. And that's all, that's so awesome to see what's happened with it. So, yeah. Cool. I'm like, I'm very, very excited about it because, like, there's a whole bunch of like really cool little side projects that are coming from it. Yeah, there's like, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about it or not. So, like, <laughs> hope he doesn't see this. <laughs> but I'm like in the middle of like designing like a very limited run, like, t-shirt line in conjunction with it because I desperately want to have a Sounds of Sasquatch band t-shirt. So like that is <laughs> in development right now. Just like nice. the weirdest thing. But yeah, it's like, it's a passion project of mine. I don't know why I'm obsessed with this really weird small town of Laughlin Hills, but like I, I will, yeah, I will exhaust everyone with this. So. Yeah, well, yeah, that, yeah, that works. And no, I, I think that's super cool. It's super cool to see what's happening with already just over the last year or so. But think about where you're going to be in three years. Think about where you're going to be in five years. Like it, that that's always such a cool thing to think about. Because I know it can be kind of overwhelming like to have so many projects out. But then you're like, okay, yeah, it's all going to happen. It's all going to take place. So yeah, well, well done. Thanks. Yeah, it, it's definitely an overwhelming sense because like it went from zero to a hundred. <laughs> mm -hmm. Like it was the craziest thing. I went from having 
no books out to having like, like literally if I'm looking at my calendar for the next couple of months, it's like one every two months is being released in addition to like with the Laughlin Hills magazine, because that comes out four times a year. And then there's like a book sandwiched like between each issue. So like, it's a lot of stress, but in like the best way. I'm very happy. <laughs> yeah, no, you should be. That's awesome. And I heard you also have a newsletter, right? I, I do. If people sign up for your newsletter, do they get a free story or something cool like that? They do. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. I do have a newsletter. It's called Everything is Scary All the Time, <laughs> which, you know, if you're listening to this podcast, yes, it probably is. <laughs> given some of the things I've talked about. But yeah, if they sign up, they get a copy of 23 McCormick Road, which is another little novelette that I have written. Totally free to download. There's like no strings attached to it. All you do is put in your email and you get a free copy of it. And it's a lovely little ghost story about a house that this couple moves into and things are, of course, terrible. <laughs> Awesome. And what's the best place to find that? Is that on your website? You know, it should be. <laughs> I think it is. I think it is. I think. Yeah. I, I have like a bibliography section, but I think I'm maybe now I need to make a whole post about it. The more, the more I think about it. And where are you most active? Are you most active on Twitter? Is that where people should connect with you? Yeah. To the ire of my partner. Yes. I'm on Twitter all the time. Yeah. And I'm super sociable. So like, you know, hit me up, say hi, hello, you know. That's awesome. And check out your latest and leave a review for it too. Please. Uh, which I will do. And going out, I believe you are going to read a story for us, right? Or an excerpt from the story. Can you tell me a little bit about that and where it's coming out? Yes. So it's, so I'm going to be reading an excerpt from the Amphitrite, which is available in Phantasmagoria issue number 21, which if you do pick up a copy, whether I think it's in paperback exclusively, you'll see not only that story, but you'll see the cover reveal for my collection coming out in December called Feminine, which is a collection of horror for women, basically, which is kind of fun. Um, you know, the horrors of being a lady. <laughs> do you think men will enjoy it? Oh, men? yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was going to scare the of everyone, hopefully, but I, I wrote it with the idea of like, being able to express my own fear and discomfort about being a woman, as weird as that might sound, in, you know, in story form. So, yeah. Yep. So it's the Amphitrite, and it's a really fucked up ghost story about a woman who is under the water. So. Awesome. Well, I want to hear it. Thank you so much for coming on. I do appreciate you joining us, sharing, co-writing, all that wonderful stuff. Thank um, you for having me. It was so much fun. <laughs> Yeah, no, we definitely need to do this again. We will yes. do it before Try Not to Die at Summer Camp comes oh. out for sure, if not before. But uh, yeah, thanks so much. And uh, here is your... Hey guys, so I'm going to be reading an excerpt from my short story, The Amphitrite, which is available in Phantasmagoria issue number 21. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy. Um, here goes. She looks at her watch, 5.22 p.m. and sighs. Six o'clock feels so far away, even though it's right around the corner. She can hardly hide her frustration at having to wait, and she quivers in anticipation as she looks out of the giant observation windows, trying to spot approaching lights in the dark water. Soon, a fresh crew will be here to relieve her of her duties aboard the Amphitrite. Soon, she'll be allowed to go home. It's only been a few weeks that she's been aboard the observation base, but for her, it feels like months. She jumped at the chance to join the crew when the university had approached her with the opportunity. Her mother had always joked that marine biologists seldom become famous, and so Amelia had hoped this journey would prove her wrong. 
The enclosure had been built as part of an international initiative to observe, document, and record the impact that global warming was having on ocean life. The amphitrite had been a technical feat like no other and was designed to accommodate crews of up to 15 people for weeks at a time. The station was fixed to the ocean floor, was able to synthesize its own oxygen, and even had a docking bay so submarines could bring supplies and researchers as needed. It was everything Amelia had ever dreamed of as a child, at least until she boarded it. She shivers and tries to rub some warmth into her arms, hoping to shield herself from the omnipresent chill. It's one of the things she hates the most about the station, along with the dampness that gets into every corner. It doesn't matter where she is in the vessel, be it her room or the observatory. The cold follows her around. She looks into the sea and frowns at the darkness of the water. This far below the waves, she seldom sees the sun. At first, she didn't mind. The excitement at being part of the crew was enough to sustain her. But now she misses the warmth overhead and the baby blue of a cloudless sky. She resists the urge to roll up the sleeves of her black turtleneck and checks her watch again and instead looks into the water and twirls her long black braid between her fingers. The room is massive and made entirely of glass. It used to be her favorite place in the station when she first arrived, but now the view of the endless black makes her feel hopeless, alone. She misses the laughter of her crewmates and conversations with them in the cafeteria. It's been so quiet since... She's not entirely sure. There were 11 other people on the research team with her, but she struggles to remember where they've gone. Something moves behind her, its reflection warped and blurry in the glass. She closes her eyes and tries to take a calming breath, but instead, she feels like she's drowning. She grabs at her throat and struggles to breathe, the sensation of water cold on her tongue. She opens her eyes and looks down at the crystal clear floor, tucking her shaky hands into the pockets of her jeans as she steadies herself. It isn't the first time she's imagined this thing in the darkness with her, but somehow it feels more real each time she sees it. Amelia watches a crab scuttle through a nearby rocks before it stops suddenly, waiting as a school of fish rushes by before continuing its journey. She watches the crab move, fascinated with its fat body, as her breathing returns to normal. She looks at her watch. It's only 5.22 p.m., and she tries not to groan with frustration. If only it was 6 o'clock, she'd be on her way home. So this is an excerpt from The, uh, the Amphitrite, which is available in Phantasmagoria, issue number 21, um, it's available on Amazon, so you know if you have access to, to the Big Zon, it's, it's able to get it there. Um, whereas I think in the UK, it's also available in select retailers. Anyways, hope you enjoyed, and I hope you pick up a, a copy and you know continue the story when you get a chance. Bye.